Since time immemorial, indigenous people have lived, traveled, and traded in the Puget Sound region. The Donation Land Act of 1850 to encourage westward expansion allowed American settlers to claim these traditional native lands. The original terms of the Medicine Creek Treaty were inadequate and ultimately unaccepted by tribal leaders, resulting in war. The Indigenous Voices podcast is an extension of the award-winning Puget Sound Treaty War Panel series from Fort Nisqually Living History Museum. podcast advances tribal voices in the telling of Puget Sound history and shares tribal knowledge and expertise with wider audiences. Episode one of the Indigenous Voices podcast focuses on the experience of being Native and how that informs one's understanding of the Puget Sound Treaty War. The Treaty War panel series in 2021 presented new concepts and new ways to think about the war. At times, it challenged popular understandings of the conflict, which has predominantly been told from a non-Native perspective. In our first episode, we wanted to take a step back. Hello, my name is Warren King George. I'm an enrolled member of the Muckleshoot Indian tribe on my father's side. And on my mother's side, I descend from the Upper Skagit tribe. My name is Charlotte Bash. I am a Puyallup tribal member. I also have lineage from Clatsop Nehalem on the Oregon coast. I work for the Puyallup tribe's historic preservation department. Um, and I'm really excited to be a part of this and bring the story to a wider audience. I'm Brandon Rainon. I'm the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer and Acting Director for the Historic Preservation Department for the PLP Tribe. I'm also a PLP Tribal member. Nancy Bullchild, Nisqually Indian Tribe Director of Archives and Tribal Historic Preservation Office, Tribal member and a Tribal Elder. Hi, my name is Danny Marshall, and I am the current chair of the Stillicum Indian Tribe. I've been working on issues supporting the cultural knowledge of our people since about 1980 and have uh, a passion for making sure that the expertise of the tribal people is shared in a good way. My name is Jennifer Ott, and I'm the assistant director at HistoryLink.org. Our first question we're working on is, um, how has your experience as a Native person shaped your understanding of the treaty war? Warren, do you want to go first on this one? Sure. I'd, I'd be happy to, Jennifer. Uh, so my experience as a Native person uh, growing up in South King County, on the border of Pierce County, uh, just across the White River. Um, I think it was pretty unique uh, in, in my time. So uh, to give people a, a timeline, I was born in 1965. 
I graduated from high school in 83. And so during that time of, of childhood and, and young adulthood, um, life as a native person growing in this region uh, was somewhat challenging. Uh, the, uh, I think the, the experience of being a Native American, uh, a Coast Salish, a Puget Sound Native American, uh, uh, had, had both its, its benefits and also uh, it had its uh, downfalls as well. I mean, there was uh, lots of challenges. There was lots of uh, misunderstandings, I guess is a polite way to put it. There was a lot of, of, of misunderstandings because there was a lot of, of, of misinformation that was being taught in, in public schools, um, which was also, uh, you know, ironically, uh, or not ironically, but was the what was being said at home uh, from my father was completely opposite of what was being taught at, at, in public schools. So we're talking about the 1970s, 1980s. And oftentimes they went in completely separate directions. So uh, it was really difficult. Um, and, and that's when uh, growing up Indian, growing up native, we really had to learn how to walk two trails. So one trail you know, was, was in today's 20th, you know, 20th century society and our, our uh, assimilated society. And then the other trail was was our our Indian trail, our native trail. And that's where we got a lot of the traditional teachings and traditional values that were shared. So growing up native with with these two with these two trails side by side, uh, that was uh, interesting is <laughs> and and very challenging. And so when I'm talking about our native trail, that's where we learn about who we are and where we come from. Uh, the native trail uh, tells us that these are our grandparents, our great grandparents. These are our ancestors, uh, great, great, great you know, grandparents, and et cetera. And this is where we come from. These are the river systems. These are the water systems. These are the trails. These are the, the resources that we valued and that we depended upon. And so, but we start to learn that well, this other trail, uh, all of this is being abused and, and all of these resources are being uh, exploited and their values are different on that trail. And so you know, they, they really clash. So our, uh, my understanding of the treaty war and its, uh, its social issues that uh, were and were not addressed, you know, that's, that's where a lot of the, uh, I think a lot of the uh, misunderstanding comes from. Uh, avoiding conversations that should have taken place, but didn't. Uh, uh, as uncomfortable as those conversations are, they still need to happen because, you know, we're coming to a new generation. We're coming, it's been several generations uh, since we've had candid conversations about what happened and what didn't happen. And, I think it's important to get all those out on the table so that uh, you know, people can understand our native perspective. Um, you know, because my view on this is that this work took place and we call that work. Work is a term that we use in our native uh, 
culture. Um, work is something that our ancestors laid down. It's the foundation of our, of our identity in, in most times, in most, in most settings. And so uh, I don't wanna step on the work of our ancestors who laid down the foundation of, of this village that we call Bakushus. And so, you know, there were lots of warriors, there are lots of families, there are lots of sacrifices that were made to, to create our little humble little village here between White River and Green River. And so my understanding of the Treaty War is, is, is a lesson of great sacrifice and also a, a lesson of, of the value of family, how important family is. Uh, is uh, uh, I think there's lots of, uh, of valuable lessons that we can relearn and continue to learn and share with our, our children and our children's children. So that's my, that's my take on that first question, Jeff. Thank you. Sure. Uh, you know, my experience is similar to, uh, well, it's somewhat similar to what Warren had alluded to, but different in a lot of other ways too. I, I also grew up in South King County in, uh, in Kent, the Kent School District in the 80s and 90s and uh, you know had uh, had a, a mother who was uh, of European descent my father's Puyallup and um, you know so like Warren had alluded to walking both those paths and learning the histories of both was quite interesting especially in school I often was got in trouble or told that when I, when I would try to say well what about this from the native side it was well Natives, Indians are savages and they were hostile or are peaceful. Um, immigrants are just trying to find a place to live and trying to, to uh, make a living here on this new land that was given to them by, the, by God. And, you know, it's like, but what about the natives that were here? Well, you know, it was, and, uh, you know, the, the native perspective was real, never, really never uh, given any weight. It wasn't really until like my mid through college when we started digging into the native perspective and you know, my dad always taught us the the native side you know we 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 knew it as mount tacoma we knew the you know, instead of mount rainier uh thanksgiving was you know salmon and berries and you know we had turkey and stuff too but we also focused we were trying bridging the two the two worlds in, in our family but we really focused on our native our native history and our native family history and our my dad always taught our family everything. Family is everything. You know your family. You you can trust only your family. And so um, you know, as we started as I started researching the treaty wars, and the early, only thing I knew about treaty wars growing up was that my dad. I was always happy about how our people, the Indian people, we 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 battled and we attacked the city of Seattle. You know, and so uh, that was his his big thing. That's all I knew about it growing up, but. Uh, once I started working for the Puyallup tribe and started learning more about the uh, the battles that took place, it was amazing to see those characteristics that my dad infused in our family. Uh, the, the you you have to lean on family, and that's who the the treaty battles took place. These are all family members. We we learned real quickly as you start looking into the the, the warriors for on the native side. These were all families banding together to fight for the rights of Native Americans and in this area and fighting for the lands, fighting for where we families have always lived uh, before the, this invasion. And so, um, you know, so having to, to bridge both of those worlds 
allowed me to understand where we were being told the history by the by the European on the European side, um, but being able to recognize that there is a second side to every story, and it this side needs needs to be told. Um, even if you look on the the websites uh, the, from Washington State, it's all or or the landmarks throughout Pierce County. It's all about savage Indians attacking these noble warriors, you know, these noble soldiers, or uh, these noble militiamen uh, who were just who were just there standing in a field and just happened to be attacked by uh, these savage Indians, right? And so, and as, as I started learning about the Treaty Wars, um, I noticed real quickly, man, we have to get this Native side told. We have to have our story told from a Native perspective because. Of, I'm sick and tired of seeing all of these attacks on our people who were there defending the lands that they grew up on, their families for generations grew up on, and they're being taken and stolen from them by people who were told to be that they were being led here uh, by some higher power. Well, well, our higher power had put us here before yours, you know, and so it, it needed to be told. Most European descendants can't say that they are, they're descendant of Moses or descendant of Slaughter uh, or descendant of Stevens. I can tell you, and I know all the other natives on this call, they're descendant of so-and-so. I'm a descendant of Hainuk, a warrior of this treaty war. So there, there is that family connection today too. People telling the story are descendants, uh, the perspective of the natives are descendants of these same warriors. I've had very similar experiences with some of my non-native friends Natives have uh, a, a really deep-rooted history here, you know, going back 14,000 years, uh, even more, you know, to the Ice Age. And uh, um, uh, whereas, whereas the, tribe, the, the tribes that, that are here in the Puget Sound area you know, have been here for generations and have a vested interest in, in all that you see around here, everything that grows, all the, the natural resources, the water, the air, the land, the rocks, you know, and these, all these things have a role in our history uh, to remind us of who we are and where we come from. Whereas a non-native uh, or someone from pre-treaty or settlement era of, you know, the, the Denny party landing on Alki Beach, you know, there's, there's just a handful of, of non-natives who, who can claim that uh, that history to this region. It's a very narrow, uh, I guess, perspective. Uh, and it's also a, a very thin layer of history that, that can be claimed by non-natives. Whereas natives can claim virtually everything you see, everything you feel and touch you know, has a, a unique place in our, uh, in our place that we call home. Because you know, we can still say that. Uh, regardless, even post-treaty, even post-reservation time, we can still call this place home, whereas non-natives can't. And I, and I would, you know, I, I, I get it. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't want to go to England and, and, and try to, to, to uh, uh, tell them their history. I wouldn't want to go to, to Europe and, and tell them you know, who they are and where they come from. I'm sure I'd I'd get the finger. Sure, I'd get a lot of things. <laughs> Those of us who are are familiar with who we are and where we come from, you know, not just two or three generations back, but going way, way back, 
you know, we take it, it adds a level of pride. It really amplifies our uh, our identity. It amplifies our our pride and amplifies our uh, need to fight. It amplifies our uh, our you know our, our need to to know and and share to help people understand uh, why the tribes care so much about this area. Why the tribal people? Why the natives? really do um, uh, seem to, you know, will fight to their last breath about uh, land, about resources. Uh, speaking on that, so we did an archaeology dig on the Connell's Prairie site, the battlegrounds here, and we had all the tribes. Uh, we had Muckleshoot, Esqually, uh, Squawks Island came up, Snoqualmie came down, uh, but, you know, I've done probably a hundred or so archaeology digs in my career, but none were as powerful as this one because at this site, we discovered charcoal and flakes, which are, they were making projectile points. They were making weaponry uh, here. And so I knew, you know, we could, we could tell that this was a preparation site. The natives here were preparing for battle. And so knowing that I was a descendant of Hainuk, I knew there was a strong possibility that I was standing and digging and touching artifacts that were personally connected to my family. But here at Connell's Prairie, with my great-great-great-great-grandfather uh, Hanuk on site, preparing for battle, in his exact, I was standing where he was standing 100 years ago. All of these statements are really resonating with me and what I was thinking about the theme of frustration and walking two paths in growing up Native and how that really influences, I think, all Native people really throughout their childhood. And I think part of the frustration that happens is that when these histories are covered in schools or wherever, it's often covered in a way that's very removed from the reality that these are real people with descendants today, with real connections that continue to this day to the land, to the history and all of its implications. And it's funny because I personally actually didn't know a lot about the treaty war specifically until very recently, until I started working for the tribe. What I think about is growing up, going to school, hearing maybe bits and pieces of tribal history, but being very frustrated about how it was told, feeling like it wasn't the story that my family had or it talked about us like some far off people um, and thinking about the experience of all Native youth I think in in the school system or just in their day-to-day -day, that we put this burden on Native youth not even purposefully to represent this history and to carry it with them by educating the non-Native population and community about these histories we're we're giving them an opportunity to lift some of that burden off of our native youth and allow them to kind of just be kids who don't have to fight to see themselves represented in their schooling and their education. My personal experience with learning about the treaty wars growing up um, in Pierce County, growing up on the reservation and then even moving away from the reservation for middle school and high school, I always heard about what I now know was the treaty wars, but at the time were just family stories. They were just 
talking about ancestors who fought for everything we have, ancestors who sacrificed everything and how we might not understand the decisions they made, but we know that they made the best possible decision for our people, for their descendants at that time. My Sapa, my grandpa, used to always tell us about how we had one ancestor who shot two militia with one bullet. And he, this was like this kind of dark sense of pride that my Sapa would talk about. And we always thought, well, that's crazy. It was one bullet and two guys. And as I have learned more about the treaty wars, I've seen the opposite end of that story. And it was a really big deal. And, it, and I had no idea that those stories were about the treaty wars when I was growing up hearing them because they were just family stories. They were just things that my aunts and uncles and Sapa and Kayas just talked about. And now I'm seeing that they're part of a much bigger picture that is both personal, but also incredibly impactful to the local and national history. These histories that we talk about are often disconnected from the very personal experiences, very familiar, familial stories for Native people in this area. Yeah, yeah so there was one, there was a word that Charlotte used. Uh, I loved what she had to say, by the way. That was that was wonderful story. And thank you for sharing that, Charlotte. Um, there was a word, disconnect. You know, for the past, I'm going to say, four, five generations, there has been this disconnect from this important historical event. You know, this is one thing that we can proudly bring back to common knowledge that we can bring to the dinner table and that we can bring into our circle. Uh, this event is something that was kind of been suppressed for generations and it really is uh, long overdue uh, to bring the, the, the value and the importance of, of the Medicine Creek Treaty War. And, and I think the other, other word is, is really humbling. I mean, we couldn't be prouder descendants of these warriors who um, have sacrificed so much to to create these opportunities for us to, and so that we can continue our our trail of being Indian in the Puget Sound. It's just amazing uh, work and so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about the direction that this work is taking everybody uh, bringing us uh, uh, although we are distant relatives but bringing relatives together once again to um, reannounce um, our, uh, our, our strong ancestral backgrounds. So first of all, um, the experience that I had as a native person was actually not as a native person. I'm over 60 years old. In my time, we went to school in these schools that were very racist, Prejudice, there was like eight native students in there. In going to school, you didn't even know you were native. My parents were in survival mode. They worked out in the fields. You know, they worked from morning to evening. So there was never any culture in our home or in the school. I've talked about the story of my grandma telling my mom that she didn't teach them the language or their culture because she didn't want them getting into trouble. So none of that was ever passed on. So we never knew there was a treaty war because we were not raised native. 
You know, we were in a white school, white teachers, white students. What we learned in school was like the battle of Little Bighorn, you know, that wasn't even near here. We had no idea there was a treaty war. You weren't really living on a reservation. I, there was three houses on our reservation. My grandma's was one. There was, my aunt lived in one, and there was a shack that was on the reservation. That was all. There was no water, no electricity. My aunt, my mom, uncles, everybody, they lived off the res. You know, they rented houses in towns that, that's what we grew up in. You know, like I tell people, in my time, sports was the biggest thing. Nothing was ever culturally relevant at the time. You know, the gener other generations started questioning, you know, like, well, yeah, we need to bring our culture back, our language, you know, all of this thing. That wasn't even, you know, in my, I guess, agenda. So my sons were raised that way. You know, they were raised to go to school. My brothers, sisters, you know, did sports. You know, that was what they thought culture was. In my world, I wasn't raised as a Native until later on when you actually get out of school, you know, you actually were worried about, well, what do my kids know, you know? And then after the tribe started getting tribal building, tribal funding, when the culture came in and you, you started trying to get away from the boarding schools into tribal schools, you know, it helped you to bring all of that history back. But, you know, Leshi to us was just Leshi. There was no, no understanding that he was just this bigger than life person. He was just Leshi to us. And then until you understand what he gave up, you know, what he sacrificed, you know, right along with a lot of our other elders, did you understand, you know, the extent of this? You know, my my whole experience was just different. You know, like I said, it was more non-native than native because of the everything that was taken away. So I, I was blessed by having a family that was very connected to uh, activities within the tribe. My mother was was our tribal chair, and and we were able to put together a, a program uh, with our local community college that uh, was basically an anthropological apprenticeship program. So for two years, I was learning cultural anthropology and and getting paid for my time as well. So when I finished high school, I was able to go into a, a place where I was actually making money to attend school. And, and But the desire was we needed our own experts. It was because we had hired non-Indian lawyers and worked with them throughout this process and relied on, on the little documented history that was out there that was, for the most part, always coming from the wrong perspective and and, and not one that that provided the the true history supported by the people that we needed our own people to tell the stories uh, that that kicked me off in a good way uh, provided me an opportunity to to begin a journey that that um, allowed me to challenge things uh, I, I was happy to finish my apprenticeship in two years and get my associate's degree and and quit school and not go back to school and just do whatever I needed to do to, to be a part of the world. But, but I had some great uh, influencers that were a part of that program that uh, caused me to go on. And, and there was a anthropologist who had done some work on the Puget Sound area uh, that uh, 
felt bad about the work he had done because he'd been hired by the U.S. government to do this work and and realized it painted the, the tribal people in a negative way. And so uh, one of my projects at Western Washington University working with him was to challenge his work and, and basically rewrite some of the things that he had done. And, and he welcomed that opportunity and, and so allowed me to use him as a resource, but you know, correct some of that stuff. So that's been a part of you know I, how I've moved forward. I had people that encouraged me to challenge the, the inaccuracies in the history and, and provide my own uh, tribal input into that and, and shed some new light on the story. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of the Indigenous Voices podcast. Be sure to listen to part two when we ask our panelists how they first learned about the treaty war. We also discuss how the non-native telling of the war has shifted over time. To learn more about the Puget Sound Treaty War, visit our tribal partner websites and fortnosqually.org where you can watch our four-part panel series on the conflict. This podcast is generously supported by the Tacoma Historic Preservation Office and Tacoma Arts Commission. Music by Vincent Johnson, Nooksack Lummy, and Nashani Johnson, Jamestown Sklalom Lummy. <laughs>